Elevate your daily routine with the serenity of SaulGoodSounds.com. Perfect for those on the go. Immerse in premium ad-free sounds for just $10 a month. Enhance focus and relaxation. Visit SaulGoodSounds.com now and transform your everyday. Create a peaceful home with SaulGoodSounds.com. Just $10 a month offers a sanctuary of ad-free sounds ideal for family relaxation and children's bedtime. Reclaim tranquility. Visit SaulGoodSounds.com to start your journey to a calmer household. The Rationale of Fascination In this chapter, I shall proceed to lay before you the rationale of fascination, that is, an exposition of the principles of its operation. While the phenomena of fascination extends over a very wide area or field, there is still to be found a certain unity of principle of operation underlying all of the forms and phases. From this point of view, we may speak of the science of fascination as well as of the philosophy of fascination. The Fundamental Principle The fundamental principle of the operation of the mental phenomena known as fascination is found in the theory of mentative induction, as stated in my work on mental magic, and which is briefly stated in the first chapter of the present book. This theory, you will remember, holds that each individual mind is a center of mentative energy and that the mentative energy of an individual mind may be and is transmitted from one person to another by means of mentative waves or currents. That these mentative waves or currents tend to induce in the minds of other persons the emotions or feelings existing in the mental states of the person sending out the waves or currents. In this connection, we must also remember that there are two mental poles known as the motive and emotive poles respectively the motive pole manifesting as willpower and the emotive pole manifesting as desire force. Desire force acts in the direction of drawing, pulling, attracting, luring, coaxing, charming, etc., while willpower acts in the direction of compelling, forcing, driving, impelling, commanding, demanding, etc. Desire force always draws its object towards itself, while willpower always overpowers and compels its object, generally in the sense of driving it into action. Mentative Induction This mentative induction acts along similar lines to the induction of electricity and magnetism, that is, it sets up similar states in the object affected. And the resemblance is even still further marked when we consider that the phenomena of electricity closely resemble the action of the will, inasmuch as both tend to drive outward in the form of an impelling force, and that the phenomena of magnetism resemble the action of desire, inasmuch as both tend to draw inward in the form of an attracting energy. An interesting question. In this connection, however, I would direct the attention of the student to one fact concerning the effect of induced states, which some have failed to grasp in my teachings in my work on mental magic. The matter may be stated by the inquiry of a student of the last mentioned work, who inquires as follows, Please inform me how it is that an induced mental state reproduces the original mental state of the mentator in the following case. A man desires to have another perform a certain act and sends a mentative current which acts by induction on the mind of the second person, setting up an induced mental state therein. The second person then performs the act desired by the first person. Now, if the induced mental state was the same as the original one, would not the second party simply also desire that the first party should do the act, just as the first party desired that the second should do it? But it does not work so, for the second party does not so desire, but instead merely desires to do just what the first party desired him to do. That is, he feels within himself a desire to do that which the first party desires shall be done. It seems to me that the induced state is really the opposite of the original state. Please set me straight on this. The answer. 
I am very glad to have the opportunity to set straight my students on this point. A careful examination will show that both states are similar. For instance, A desires that B shall do a certain thing and induces a similar state in B. The induced state produces in B a like desire that the things shall be done as he proceeds to do it. No opposite action here is there. The essence of the desire in both cases is the same, namely, that the thing shall be done. The expression of the feeling of the two persons in the case as, one, I desire that you shall do, and two, I desire to do, respectively, are merely the personal forms of expression and not the essence of the desire or feeling. The desire or feeling in its real essence is, I desire this thing done, and both hold the same desire, A, holding the original desire or feeling, and B, the induced desire or feeling. Think this over a little until you see the point. Induced will acts in the same way as the above-mentioned instance of the action of the induced desire. Of course, in all cases of the action of desire, the will is also called into operation. In the above-cited case, it works as follows. A feels the desire to have the thing done, and so his will is called into operation to concentrate the mentative currents and to project them to a focused point on the mind of B. Then B, feeling the induced desire that the thing shall be done, awakens his will and does the thing. Do you see this also? You had better fix this process firmly in your minds, for it is the key to the operation of the principle of fascination and other mentative phenomenon. Making another feel like doing. Now to get back to the first principle, which is that one person may make a second person feel like doing a thing that the first person wishes to have done. That is the thing in a nutshell. And in the degree that the second person so feels like doing the thing, so will be the degree of desire and will induced in him, and consequently, so will be the likelihood of his actually doing it. You see the matter of feeling like is at the bottom of it all. And this being so, it is readily seen that if one is able to induce a state of feeling like in another, he has the secret of the control of the other person's actions. Now this is the basis of mental fascination. Now let us see how this principle works out in a case of mesmerism or hypnotism, so-called, which, after all, is but a phase of mental fascination governed by the above-mentioned principle. I prefer the term mesmerism for several reasons, among them being the fact that it is a recognition of mesmer, its discoverer or rediscoverer, and also the fact that hypnotism means sleep while mesmerism covers the whole phenomena in both its waking or sleep conditions. A case of mesmerism. Well, let us suppose a case of mesmerism. The mesmerist, whom I will call the operator, faces the subject. The operator assumes a positive state of mind, his willpower being active and concentrated, practice having improved him along these lines. The subject naturally assumes a negative mental state, opening his emotive mental pole to the influence of the mind or will of the operator, and allowing his motive mental pole to remain quiescent or relaxed. That is to say, he opens his desire mind to the influence of the operator and lets his will remain inactive and relaxed. The operator desires and wills that the subject be influenced, and the subject agrees, consciously or unconsciously, to be so influenced. One wills, and the other is willing. Which latter paradoxical expression means that he is not willing. The operator naturally asserts his positivity, while the subject assumes a decided state of negativity. One asserts a supremacy of will, and the other submits. I would call your attention to the fact that there is no physical compulsion or influence in the matter. It is all a matter of mentation and both parties fully recognize the reality of the phenomenon. The Silent Conflict The above relative mental state of the two persons is apparent in a greater or lesser degree whenever two persons meet. One is always stronger mentatively than the other, and a silent conflict ensues from which one or the other emerges a victor, and the result is recognized and acquiesced in by both victor and vanquished.
Ordinarily, however, the distinction is not nearly so marked or great as in the case of a strong mesmerist and his negative subject, the latter having probably been trained in negativity by repeated trials and experiments in private and in public. For know you that even as positivity may be cultivated, developed, and strengthened by practice in actual performance, so, alas, may negativity be encouraged, developed, and made habitual by a continued practice of giving in to the will of another or others. It is all a matter of habit. Positive and Negative it will be seen at once that given a subject and operator bearing the stated degrees of relative positivity and negativity, the subject will have a tendency to accept and obey the wishes and commands of the operator with a minimum degree of resistance. The operator will strongly wish the subject to feel in a certain way and to act upon the feeling. To accomplish this result, he will concentrate his desire by his will and then direct a combined and focused attack on the mind of the subject. He is likely to call suggestion to his aid in the attack, for by so doing he is able to obtain an additional advantage, for a suggestion, as I have stated in my work on mental magic, is a physical agent inducing mental states, or an outward invisible sign of an inward feeling or mental state, which tends to induce a similar feeling in the mind of accepting the suggestion. The Suggestive Command the operator gives the subject in the suggestion by command and in accordance with the phrase of suggestion known as suggestion through obedience see my work on mental magic the subject obeys it must not be forgotten however that the suggestion is merely the outward symbol of the inward mental state of the operator and becomes effective only by reason of this fact the operator throws his intensified desire force and will power into the suggestion and receives an effect along the line of the threefold activity with his will he produces a dual effect i e one he captivates the desire of the subject and induces in it the desired feeling like state two he takes captive the will of the subject and subjugates it to his own and at the same time by his desire he also produces a dual effect i e one he induces a similar desire in the mind of the subject by mentative waves or currents and two he allures or seduces the will of the subject by the strength of his desire the result of this combined attack causes the mind of the subject to act as follows which adds a third dual effect to the operation i e one the subject's desire being induced as stated by the operator, acts to influence his own will, thus making the latter fall in with the induced desire. 2. The subject's will, controlled as stated by the operator, acts upon its own desire, thus making the latter fall in with the seduced will. It must be remembered that the three mental operations above mentioned are concurrent, that is, they act at the same time, and exercise joint action and control upon the mind of the subject. And neither the operator nor the subject are necessarily conscious of there being three dual actions underway. The operator simply desires and wills, with or without suggestion, while the subject simply feels like, as before stated, and accepts the suggestion if one is given, without recognizing the various mental operations going on to produce the feeling like. The detailed explanation may make the operation seem complicated, while in reality it appears to both the operator and subject as quite a simple matter indeed. The Daydream State the above process is the same whether the operator merely produces the simplest result upon the subject or whether he secures the most remarkable and startling exhibitions of the control of one mind by another the principle of operation is the same in all cases with sleep or without sleep it is the same in fact as we shall see the very sleep condition is produced just as are the other effects and its production merely tends to produce a daydream state in the subject and thus makes him act in a daydream-like manner with appropriate illusions sleep phenomena are merely one of the side issues of mesmerism when the true principle is understood habit and repetition habit and repetition 
In our consideration of the operation of mesmerism, we must not forget the part that habit and repetition play in the matter. For instance, the operator may be able to produce only the simplest effects at first trial, but at each subsequent trial, in which he gains more and more control over the subject, and a greater acquiescence and degree of obedience, he is able to obtain a still more marked effect. If you will read my remarks on the suggestion by repetition in my work on mental magic, page 120, you will realize the awful force of repetition in habit as well as the power of repeated statement this psychological fact is like the operation of the wedge admit the thin edge and each additional blow drives it further in this works along the lines of both good and evil remember the wise use it to their own strengthening while the foolish allow it to be their undoing beware of the thin edge of the wedge of undesirable habits of thought and action a psychological law the mesmerist understands well, often too well, the nature and results of the above-mentioned psychological law. He has found out by experience that although it may be difficult to control a subject the first time, it will be easier the next, and so on and on until perfect control is obtained. And, knowing this, he bends his endeavors to inserting the very thinnest edge of the wedge, understanding that in this he has his hardest task before him and alas how many of us know that this same principle is in operation in everyday life although seemingly having nothing to do with mesmerism how many of us are able to regret the day of the entry of the thin edge of the wedge another point to be remembered is that the subject who is under a fair degree of control does not feel as if he were obeying the commands or wishes of the operator alone that is not in the main it is true that he instinctively obeys the command of the suggestion just as a horse quickens his gait when spoken to or a soldier acts quickly in obedience to orders etc etc but the motive for the action or feeling seems to come from within himself to a great degree it has the force and effect of an instinctive action proceeding along subconscious lines he seems to want to do the thing of his own accord this is the dangerous feature this then in a general way is the rationale of mental fascination as shown in its phase of mesmerism and its corresponding exhibitions along less pronounced lines if you will acquaint yourselves with these principles of operation you will have a grasp on the whole subject in our next chapter we shall have a view of the mental states of operator and subject which will throw additional light upon the subject before us